listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. We are in a series that's not a series, uh, just sort of following what God is saying at the moment, looking at God's Word. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about seeds. And one of the concepts behind this seed is that God has placed in you his dreams for the world, that God has spoken words over each one of us and has a purpose and plan for each one of us. We may forget that is the case, but the interesting thing about seeds is seeds can remain dormant, seemingly dead, but then in the right conditions, in the right soil, with the right water, can spring back into life. Some of you have been watering that garden for some time. Some thought the seed was dead. Others have just been carrying that seed. But now is a time when God is germinating seeds. By you being here today, it's a step forward to say to God, I want to be a carrier of this seed. I want to see it grow into something beautiful and new in my life and in the world. And one of the, one of the continuing that concept in Matthew chapter 13, one of the stories of Jesus, one of the books that explains Jesus's life, it speaks of the seed as the word. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about God's word. And I want to do that by beginning with a verse. Uh, You can see it up on the screen here once I turn this guy on. Uh, And this is from Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is this massive psalm. It's a symphony, really. Uh, It's some of the psalms, which are these prayers very personal. Some of the Bible is big swathes of history and there's battles and kings. The Psalms are like this reading of a diary between someone talking to God and some are short. This one's particularly big and and huge and expansive. And just want to take one verse out of that from Psalm 119 verse 2 where it says this, blessed, a word we don't use heaps today in the contemporary world. We prefer pleasure, we prefer happiness, but blessed is a deeper, lasting, richer form of those things. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. In Hebrew, the Torah, this is the word. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. I just want to take one other passage from this giant psalm. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? In other words, the right way. How do we do the right thing in a way which will make us blessed and bless others? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, to do wrong, to fall short of God's standards. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your degrees, decree, your degrees, your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. In this passage, we see this incredible, dynamic relationship where someone is living a life with God through their word. And that's what I want to talk about today. But to begin, I just want to pause for a second. 
and just come to an awareness of who we are. Each of us is sitting here doing things that we're not even really aware of. Every person in this room has a heart that is beating at this moment. When you stop, you can feel it. Feel free to feel your pulse. Feel free, for those of you who don't know where your pulse is, to grab around and try and feel it. There is blood pumping through your body. Your brain is sending messages to your body. Your physical being is actually this incredible miracle. Now, around us in the created world, there are all kinds of animals which have similar physiological systems, blood beating, cells renewing, brain sending messages. But as humans, you've got something even greater going on. You're filled with thoughts, language, imagination, creativity. So busy in your day, perhaps getting here, perhaps even what it feels like to be in a social situation like this, perhaps what you did last night, perhaps what you're going to do tomorrow on Monday. All of these things crowd in and we forget for moments what a miracle we actually are. And part of the strangeness of that miracle is that we have this story the scripture tells us, we see it in the beginning of the book of Genesis where it explains how humans were made and we read that and it captures this idea of what it is to be human and it says that humans are formed from the dirt, God breathes his spirit. So humans are the coming together of these two things, spirit and earth. God's word, his breath is breathed into us. And so in you, whether you realize it or not, you have those elements. You are created according to God's word in the image of God. You were created in his image. Planned, made, designed, created in his image. Now, the story that Genesis also tells is that you also fall short of the glory of God. In the story of Genesis, we find this story where Adam and Eve decide to rebel against their nature, to actually almost, in a sense, cut off that spirit and deny that communication point they have with God, that relationship they have with God, and this sends the world into this place of brokenness. Now, before this happens, they are satisfied. They're living in God's presence but as soon as this happens, and we see this story all through Scripture and all throughout human history, this tremendous hunger begins. No longer is that spirit able to be satiated or to be satisfied because it's cut off from God. Earth part of them is there, but that spirit now finds itself famished and cut off from that which gives it life. And so what humans do, and what Adam and Eve do, what we see all through the scriptures, and what we do today then, is we seek to fill that hunger which only God's Spirit can actually replenish. We seek to fill that with things of the earth. 
And this means in our minds, in our hearts, in our inner beings, we then are eternally looking for things to satisfy us which can't satisfy. We find ourselves continually in a state of disorder, spiritually starved. These longings make up what it is to be human, separated from God. Now, this is something that's always been true of the human condition. People have always been separate and had longings. Read human history, read novels, look at the accounts of people through the ages. People have always understood and desired after stuff which never can truly satisfy. Money, power, sex, these things which they want to fill that hole within us that cannot be filled by anything of this earth. But we live in a particularly interesting time where this temptation is still there, but it's magnified, it's multiplied. We live at this time where those desires are used and in a sense exploited. I studied advertising, I get this, how people's longings are used and stories are told and campaigns are made and products are designed to satisfy these deep longings and even to create longings in you that you didn't even know that you had. In the 1970s, the whole world reached this really interesting time where actually what had happened is that governments started running out of money and couldn't provide for people what they had provided over the years. And something was created in the 70s, and I think 1979 was the year that this thing was created, this wonderful new product, which at the first time was just this new thing, but has changed the world and changed profoundly, as Simon Reed Henry says, the historian, profound, changed profoundly how you see the world, this little character here. The MasterCard comes into the world, the Master card <laughs> comes into the world and it's priceless. And it says to people, hey, all these things you desire, now before this, there were natural limitations. There were certain people, I used to have money for that. You understood where the boundaries were in a sense. Sure, you had desires and longings, and I'm not saying it was perfect back then or anything like that, but we live in the time where people before understood if I want that, I've actually got to work hard, and in a sense, reality discipled you, if you like. But what happens now, since this revolution is, you can have everything now. You can have stuff beyond your limits. You can have it all now, and yes, there's a consequence, but we're just kicking the consequences down the road. The can is kicked further. You can have it all now. Corey Russell, in his book, The Ancient Path, says this, the culture of convenience has produced a generation that is enslaved to instant gratification and to comfort. We refuse to invest in anything that costs us time and energy. Our souls are addicted to the things of the world, and because of this, the chaos and traffic of the culture has permeated our internal lives. So those desires have now changed our inner world. Our hearts are surrounded on every side with images, voices, and busyness that have choked the word in our hearts. Now into this mess, 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes and dies on the cross for this rebellion against God, 
and offers us a way back to God. The cross then means that no longer do we hunger after God, that God on the cross pays that price and again we can be in his presence. Again, we can live with him for eternity. And some of us are at this point today, some of us have never made that decision to again make ourselves right with God to actually get down on bended knee and say, I can't do this. Everything that I'm looking for in all the wrong places is actually not satisfying this dislocation I have in my soul. I want to follow you. And despite doing stuff where I've actually taken the good gifts you've given, that actual spirit that you breathed into me, I've rejected that. Despite all of that, you still love me with an act of grace. And so I want to fall on my knee and follow you. Some of us need to do that. Some of us did that recently. Some of us did that many years ago. But a temptation can creep back in, particularly if you are someone who has been in church for a while, live in the world at the moment, where the world, because the world is a place of instant gratification, that seeps into the church. And so what we do in the church is we don't understand what the book of Hebrews says, where we can then approach the throne of God because Jesus is now gone ahead, that we can again approach God in confidence, knowing that he died on the cross, and again commune with him, that we don't need these things to actually take that place and mediate between us and God. But we fall back into this concept of needing a mediator, of being afraid to approach God. Richard Foster says this in Sanctuary of the Soul. People today, religious people in this time can say, give us a pastor, give us a priest, give us someone who will do it for us so we can avoid intimacy with God ourselves because that might limit our freedom and continue to reap the benefits we say. Corey Russell again, the culture and mentality of convenience seeps into the church and it produces selfish, lazy believers. Congregations live vicariously off the man or woman in the pulpit, and individuals no longer feel personally responsible for deepening their relationship with God and growing in their knowledge of His Word. We want a pastor, we want a guru, we want an app to do it for us. And God's word then, when that is the only setup, simply becomes reduced to little spiritual bits of information. And some of it's good, some of it's brilliant. As someone who is in the pulpit, I would hope that actually my sermons bring people closer to God. But if that's all it is, what you'll have is the occasional hit where you may have your kale salad, but the rest of the time you're downing double fried whoppers in a drive-thru. You can ask for that. Um, if you're slipping 50 bucks. Not really. I don't know. And what happens is, because we are still spiritually famished, we find ourselves in this position of, hang on, I seem to be doing the right religious things. 
or maybe I'm paralyzed actually by this sense of religious guilt that, oh, I know I should be doing this more. And that spirit is nowhere near what God is talking about. We need to move from a chore mentality to a more of God mentality. Now, in 1 Samuel, we encounter the people of God in a time where the word has seemingly disappeared. 1 Samuel 3 verse 1 says, In those days the word of the Lord was rare. And before this, it talks about how corruption had come into the culture, corruption had come into the religious structures and the people of God. And the diagnoses that the Bible says at this time is that the word of, the God, of God was rare. And I want to say, actually, at this moment, when we look behind so many of the different cultural issues we're facing, both in the world and in the church, and personally, one of the great diagnoses is because the word of the Lord is rare. As even a minister, there are times when this could have been said of me. And so what we're suffering from is actually this lack of the word. If the word is God's communication to us, if it's his love letter sent to us, if it's his ways of understanding the world, if it's his precepts of how to do the right thing, how does an individual walk their life, how does a culture actually walk with justice and righteousness, if we're denying ourselves this truth, we are cutting ourselves off from the most vital information, the most vital communication that will not lead us to transformation. And so, we need to re-understand what it is to engage with God's Word from this thing I should be doing, and you open and you flip to Leviticus, and you're reading about how do you do this and that, and not understanding it, this guilt sense, to actually something which then looks more like this. When we realize that that hunger that we have can only be satiated by God and nothing else. And the way that God has devised this is that we encounter him in his word, which then begins to renew us. So many of the things that we struggle with in the world of feelings, thoughts, our emotional landscapes, actually the solution is we need renewing and what God has given us is his word to actually renew our minds, nothing else will do. And what we see is, so much of the contemporary mind has become this place of absolute chaos and confusion and anxious, bouncing, never-ending, restless thoughts and feelings because we're constantly stimulated. Our desires create disordered directions and our mind is constantly saying we need to do more, affect more, and we go from running around like headless chickens to laying on the couch like exhausted geese. <laughs> Turkeys, that was better, thank you, Daniel. And there's this sense where when you look, the good news is, when you look at scripture, 
When you look at Genesis and you encounter the world as this ball of chaos, unformed and unmade, when you encounter humans before God breathes his ruach breath into humans, it's just dirt unformed. There's something exciting right before us now at this moment as this invitation comes at this moment when so many of us have chaotic minds is that when the word hovers above the chaos of something, something new is going to be born. And many of us stand at the precipice of a moment where the chaos actually can be wrestled into something new. And the chaos that comes out in our external lives actually can be remade by again encountering the word in a new way. This is a moment to actually get excited about. This is the role at the beginning of a film that you really want to see. This is the salivation before a meal. God wants to remake some minds in this room through his word. And one of the myths of this moment, particularly told to people with disordered, frustrated, chaotic minds is, you're always gonna just have to live with this. This is how it is these days. This is what it is now. And here's our product for you to buy to help a little bit. So, this is a concept of moving from secular mediators who are gonna deal with the longings through apps or products or experiences or even religious Mediators through podcasts or that sermon or that conference or that book or that person I go and hang out with or that pastor I want to sit with to do it for me. And none of those things are wrong in of themselves, but none of them can take the place of self-feeding. Jesus goes showing us the way into the wilderness after his baptism. And we have the spirit fall on Jesus when he's baptized in the River Jordan, but then he goes and shows us the power of the word when he's in a place where nothing can feed him. The desert isn't just a place of dust and rocks and sand and not much growth. It's actually a place where there's nothing that can sustain or give you nutrition. They talk today of many places in the world, they call them food deserts. In the United States now, there's all these food deserts where literally you cannot buy a healthy, a healthy meal. There's heaps of fast food, heaps of supermarkets, but there's virtually nothing you can buy to actually sustain you with nutrients. We live in a word desert, a nutrient-free zone. And in the midst of that place, that desert, that wilderness into which we go, we need to discover what Jesus says to the devil, which is this in Matthew 4, verse 4. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is not a concept like, yeah, you should read your Bible. This is, this is vital. This is like breathing. This is like your heart beating. This is like something you absolutely need. This is something like the, the oxygen mask coming down in a plane. This is something that is vital for human survival and human flourishing. And so we need to understand 
We need to move away from the world's understanding of this stuff where it's just information or we look at a text because we've been taught to do this since high school where we look at this and what is this Hamlet and what's Hamlet saying here and what's happening in Shakespeare and I don't like it. I don't like Middle English or whatever or I don't like that movie or I don't look at that. And we are used to reading things but when you encounter the word, it's all turned on its head because the word actually reads you. And you're not going to encounter the life-giving nature of the Word when you come with contemporary 21st century pride. The Word can only be read figuratively on your knees because we must approach it with humility. To reactivate that correct posture before God is to say, I am here. I am willing to be read. I need to be remade. I'm at rock bottom. I'm at a starting point. I'm not bringing a bunch of baggage. I want to again encounter you. So we understand then that we read the word to then encounter God. Corey Russell, God desires that we would see the scriptures as the vehicle through which we would meet Jesus, who is the Word. John describes him as the Word. And we see this understanding in a story in Luke's Gospel in chapter 24, where Jesus has died on the cross, and he's resurrected, and he's appearing to people in these really unusual places and ways. And there's these two people walking, and they're talking about this. And they're walking along like, what's happened? Jesus died on the cross. That's not what was meant to happen. They were impacted by his ministry. And they're walking along this Emmaus road. And then this stranger sort of joins them and they're talking to them. And he's like, what's going on? Like, have you not heard? This is the talk of town. Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross and we thought that was it. But now we're hearing reports that he's appearing. Like, what on earth is going on? And then we see this beautiful interaction. Now, what's so important is, as they're walking in their normal mode of just sauntering along as they would have gone to get around in those days, they don't recognize him. To encounter the word, they actually have to take a different posture. This is really interesting. But they urged him strongly. Note that term. They urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with him. They had to urge. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. This is what we just did. We came around the communion table. People prayed with each other. We weren't just with each other. Even if you just came by yourself, you We're eating and encountering the living Jesus. This doesn't happen devoid of connection and relationship. This isn't just some text of someone who wrote this and died and has disappeared and we now critique it like some high school, you know, literary critical essay. This is actually a relationship. This is a place where we come to and we urge God to speak to us. Then... They opened, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So interesting. Then they asked each other, were our hearts not burning 
within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Jesus opens the scripture. In Christian understanding of scripture, and this is so key to understand, you'll have people read it and the spirit will not give people eyes to see. I remember my year eight teacher, we were doing sport, he was like a PE teacher and afterwards everyone just sitting around in a circle and he's having some chat and he just like read the Bible, read the whole thing, nah, nothing. This is relational. This is not just information. This is relation that then turns into transformation. We need word and spirit. This is an active dynamic. This is not like other books. And what we need is that sense that we get in Psalms where that is planted in our hearts, as David says. And what these two disciples, unnamed, but forever remembered, because they recognized that when Jesus came and sat with them and they opened the scriptures, their hearts burned. And we again need burning hearts. So just a few things. If you are, at this point, understanding and feeling your word malnutrition, if you're wanting to be remade, if your mind is chaotic and needs to be made new again, just a few things. In Matthew 6, Jesus, when telling the disciples how to pray, says something really simple in the midst of a passage where he's saying, don't be like the Pharisees who's praying on the street and they're showing off and they're being religious show-offs, basically. And he says how to pray and pray in the hidden places. But he says this little phrase, which is missed but so key, shut the door. Go into your room and shut the door. There is an active stance that needs to be taken because your attention is a commodity that is continually being mined and stolen. People are continually interrupting us. This is not like other parts of the world or other times in history where actually there was a deficit of stimulation, where you almost wanted someone to come and say hi or something to happen. This is a moment where our attention is continually contended for by agents not acting in our best interests. So the first thing we need to do to begin to do this is carve out a space. Go into your room, go for a walk, leave your phone behind, go even if it's for 15 minutes. Even if you're a parent, this could be, as I've said before, there is no shame in, this is literally at a moment where you're like, this is great, Mark, but I have newborns and I have not slept in three nights. How on earth do I do this? I had twins, three hours sleep a night for 13 weeks. For me, it was five to seven minutes in the toilet with the toilet locked. (laughs) Martin Luther had one of his great theological revelations sitting on the loo. Do not look down on the loo. Whatever it is, go and shut the door. You need to create a space. And let's be honest, many of us now are addicted to stimulation. This is hard. You've actually got to break past the hankerings to like be grabbing for your phone when it's at the other end of the house. Create a space where you shut the door. The second thing is, ask and contend. The disciples walking on the Emmaus Road actually asked 
Jesus to stay with them. It doesn't say just stay with it. They urged him to stay with them. Ask for God to reveal. Open the scriptures and pray, God, I'm opening the scripture. Father, speak to me. Reveal something, even just a word. Give me some daily bread that I need today. At some point, you're going to be looking at Scripture and maybe you've got like a study Bible and you're reading the different notes and, 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 and you're getting into it or you're reading a commentary. At other times, it's just going to be just the Word speaking to you clearly and plainly. But you need your eyes open. You need your hearts to burn and praying that God will give you revelation. The next thing which is so key because most of us are so addicted to continually moving, and jittery is almost the physical posture of our day, is Joshua 1.8 says to meditate on the word day and night. Now, meditate on scripture is a problem in English because instantly that word conjures up all kinds of imagery. There's two. One is like the super smart intellectual person who just has endless time and can sit in their office just pondering because their brain is so powerful and they're just meditating upon stuff um, and thinking. The second concept is almost that idea of Eastern meditation where you're actually emptying yourself of any thought. Now, the word meditate in Hebrew as it's used in that passage, is actually this Hebrew word like hagar. Very different to meditate. Hagar. It, it, it actually sounds like someone chewing on a lamb shank. And here's just some of the Hebrew words behind this. Now, this is the problem. Often what you'll have is you'll have words in other languages which are really hard to translate. I'm writing the foreword for a book that's being translated from German into English, and I'm talking to these publishers, they asked me to write this foreword, and it's taking them ages just to even go from German to English and capture some of the meaning of, of what the original German means. It's really difficult, and those are two languages which are, in some ways have some similar roots. So here's a bunch of the words behind meet, meditate, hagar, murmur, rhubarb, rhubarb. Coo, like a pigeon. <laughs> Ponder. I'm not going to do all of these. Mutter. Roar. Imagine. Study. Talk. Mourn. Pleasure. Speak. This is absolutely active and engaged. This is a whole variety of different experiences. This is more like the Orthodox Jewish men that you see praying at the Wailing Wall and reading and fully engaged and moving their bodies and going up and down and kicking over their Persian rugs. It's this whole sense where this is actually active and you're wrestling with it. You have to slow down. Slow down and think but at the same time be active. It's this bizarre thing where you're taking this active posture and realizing you can't do this without God. Let the text read over you. Read it once, read it twice, circle words, write them on a bit of paper, 
don't just read it and expect it to grip you like some Harry Potter novel or some airport thriller. This is actually something uh, Eugene Peterson talked about. One of the best analogies he used for Hagar is he would watch his dog grab a bone. If you've ever seen a dog with a bone, it will take the bone and it'll go and bury it and it'll come back to it and it'll pick it up and it'll chew it and it'll keep gnawing on that text. Sometimes God has had me in certain texts even just single words or even just simple sentences again and again asking God to speak to us. Slow down and chew on the bone. Now, that still could be however long you've got. That might be 20 minutes, but taking this very different posture. And what begins to happen is, as you get better at that, the longer you chew the bone, then we'll come back to that during the day. One thing I've done recently is write it on a bit of paper, just a little bit of paper so you look at it. Those moments when maybe you're waiting for the bus or it's a moment between meetings or you're just walking along, pick it out, look at it. Maybe get the phone Bible app and just have that on the screen, screenshot it so when you look at it and think about that and let that word speak over you, creating new things in your life. Meditating on it is another way of just, so memorizing it rather, actually remembering that word. Now lastly, the most important thing is, this word doesn't just come in order to make us more balanced and centered. This is God's instructions. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. This word will guide you. This word is the centering truth. This is God sitting with you, coaching and leading you through your life. Your statutes are wonderful. Therefore, I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. We need to move from that chore mentality to a more of God mentality. We need to have our inner worlds remade. Have you ever noticed in Psalms that it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's actually saying and reading scripture over his own soul. There's this self-talk going on where he's talking to God and then talking to his feelings, his innermost sense and saying, praise God. I know this is happening out there, but praise God, center yourself on God, make him your touch point and your north star. Let's stand. Father, we live in a time of junk news, junk information, endless posting, more books ever written than ever before, more articles, more words. But in the midst of all of that, Father, we're hungry and starving for truth and meaning and direction and purpose. But ultimately, we're starving for you. Jesus, I just want to pray for anyone who feels chaotic at this moment. Father, I am excited about the concept that as we encounter your word, that you birth new things. In Jesus' name, I just want to pray as we bring our minds before you, our attention before you, that even just the words that we've heard read from your scriptures today will begin to deposit new things in us. 
Father, may we be people who are invested and in relationship with you through your word. May we take that daily practice forming us like a a habit into something new. Jesus, I want to pray that we begin to encounter revelation in your word. Begin to move in us, to do new things in us. I just want to pray off any chore mentality that, hey, we should be reading this, but actually move us to the reality that we want to engage with you through your scriptures. Open our eyes and hearts as you opened the eyes and hearts of those two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And Father, make our hearts burn as you show us your word and how you want us to live. We pray this in your name. Amen.